Hello and welcome to the Real Estate Nerds Podcast. On this Best Deal episode, we will explore the human side of real estate investing with a seasoned pro about the legendary best deal of their life. A deal isn't just the investment, it is also the person executing it. Stay with us and learn what it takes to be the best investor possible. Hi, and welcome to the Real Estate Nerds Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Royal Smith. I'm with a good friend of mine, Mark Kenny. We're going to be talking about multifamily investing today. Mark's going to peel back the curtain a little bit and share with us some of his uh, hard-learned investing uh, stories to be able to, for us to learn off of. So that way, we you know, we don't have to make those same mistakes. We can get, get that firsthand experience without actually being in the deal uh, and know kind of what does it look like? What does it feel like when things are going good or when they're going bad? Um, what is that spidey sense trying to tell you? That's Those are things that Mark is going to kind of walk us through today. So Mark, um, for everybody that doesn't know you, can you give us a, a little bit of background about um, you know who you are and kind of set the stage for us so we can really understand the perspective of your story today? Yeah, sure. Quick background, started buying small multifamily, like two to four units when I was 22. So it was quite a while ago. Keeps getting uh, longer and longer, <laughs> it seems like. But uh, um, And I was in Michigan living there. Uh, in school, college still. I knew I wanted to buy real estate. I didn't really know how to do it and things like that. But then I graduated in accounting. I did accounting for a while, did a you know, CPA for a while. Then I'm doing IT consulting. Continued to buy smaller properties on my own. And then um, 2008, started my own IT company. It was doing pretty well overall. Uh, probably too too good actually I was working 85 hours a week and really not sleeping and completely ignoring my wife and don't recommend that actually but um yeah that's, I was. that's so great yeah <laughs> yeah I was so in um 2013 things kind of came to a head where my wife was like hey you need to do something different or else essentially uh so it got kind of serious and um so I said well you know I don't really have time but let's try to start, start buying larger multifamily properties that's really the only way I can replace my income because if we try to do it on our own, we can only buy a property every two to three years, essentially. It's not going to work. Started syndicating um, deals. We've bought um, over 5,000 units um, since 2014, I guess. And um, sold some, but have kept most of them, actually. <clears throat> and that's kind of how I got started uh, syndicating. Um, and then we started expanding out into other uh, markets outside of Dallas is where I live. Now we're in five states and multiple markets in different states right now. Very, very cool. So, you know, when you're looking, you know, into to a deal, you know, I think everybody, you know, we're getting into the deals because we always think it's a great deal when we start, you know, yeah. hey, even the, the bad ones are, you know, you fall in love with them usually at the start. And usually you fall in love with them like the most, you know? Right. And that's why yeah. we can't really see that they're going to be so bad. Right. Right. Does, uh, is there a particular bad deal that pops into mind that you want to talk about today? Yes. So, unfortunately, I have one bad deal. And unfortunately, it's the only one out of about 35 deals we've done. But it's a bad deal. Um, it was a deal where a guy that I partnered with before, I already owned a couple of properties with him. He already owned the property. And uh, he wanted to buy out another partner that was in that deal. And so, I came in and big value add deal, you know, like uh, 60% occupied. And I ended up syndicating that deal, raising capital from other people. I invested money as well myself in the deal. 
And uh, really what, you know, most of these deals that go south, it's, it's not really, generally speaking, the actual property itself. It's the people involved. And this guy was a property manager as well on the deal. That's what his business was, a property management business. And after a couple months, a big rehab, you know, I flew to Atlanta and kind of a surprise visit. And I'm like, man, things don't look like they're progressing like they should. And we asked uh, this particular guy for, you know, kind of a status update. And, and we had a board of directors. So we had five members, like an SEC attorney from Harvard and Marcus Milchap broker and things like that. So we had a, a board uh, set up. We formally requested information from him. And frankly, to this day, never gotten it. So after not getting it, giving him a deadline, um, we removed him from the board, removed him as property manager, uh, reduced his equity, uh, things like that. You know, it was within two months that we kind of, if you want to say, caught him, if you want to say that. <clears throat> and so quickly, but what we didn't know, and this is, you know, really the, the crux of this whole, whole issue was that we bought into an existing LLC. So he already owned the property. He already had a loan on the property. He had been running the property for nine months. A lot of upside from a all paper perspective in the deal as far as upside the way it looked that uh, could be improved. But after we moved him, then that's when everything kind of went south. So there were things that uh, came up from months before I was involved in the deal, months before any of the investors I brought in were involved in the deal, issues that were tied to the LLC, never disclosed, never recorded in the books. So we started getting inundated with uh, liens and vendors coming out of the woodwork saying, hey, you know, we did work there nine months ago, haven't been paid. But again, so, never, yeah, so, look, so let me just get this straight. So you get into the deal, it looks really great on paper. You have a good investor pool of people that you're putting money into the deal that you think are all really smart people. Right. Went through a process, you vetted the person you're buying the property from. That all looks good uh, from what you guys can tell. Um, feeling probably pretty confident about the deal because you're with so many other smart people that are all looking at the same deal together. Right. right? That's probably going to give you quite a bit of confidence. Um, only to come to find out that you, you're, when you bought the, the LLC with the property in it and uh, likely did that so you could assume the note and like the existing, all the existing indebtedness that was onto it with the bank and not having to go through a refinance process. So now the deal's looking even sweeter because uh, you don't have to go through all that. Uh, just to come to find out that the LLC had a bunch more indebtedness than you thought to, uh, to a bunch of people. That's ex exactly. Is that how it went down? Yeah, exactly right. You summarize it perfectly in the, you know, I know people that bind LLCs, they do a lot of time for tax purposes too. Personally, I would never, ever, ever do it again. Um, you could do it a hundred times and be great. I did it once, horrible, but that's exactly how it, how it went down and, you know, it's, uh, I mean, a couple other, you know, that, that's the biggest lessons learned. I would never buy into an LLC again like that. Um, I don't like the idea. It's my personal opinion. People can, can vary on this. I don't like the idea of having a property management company as a partner because what happens is a property is not performing. You have a partner who is a general partner in the deal. Um, I just don't like that concept, frankly, either. You think it's and, a conflict? Like the, the property manager then starts to obscure the numbers to make the property look good so the investors don't freak out? 
Well, in this case, it was. <laughs> it was, unfortunately. Um, I just it gets tricky too. Now you're kicking out a management company. If they're just a management company, not a partner, it's a pretty easy thing, right? Now you're kicking out somebody that's actually a partner in the deal. And that raises even more concerns, like why is this guy getting kicked out? And we, we disclosed it. I mean, it wasn't a question of disclosing it. Uh, we're convinced. Um, you know, we hired a forensic accountant to go through all the books and things like that. We're convinced he stole money. Um, Someone is hard to quantify because it takes a step further. And we're convinced he's in, he was in collusion with some vendors as well, which is pretty hard to prove. When a vendor says, yeah, I was there eight months ago and I painted you know, 30 units. Well, how do we know they paid 30, painted 30 units or not? We can't tell anymore. So that's uh, it's a bad, bad situation. Sometimes uh, in the, in the legal field, we'll have like a, a full set of disclosures of like, you have to disclose any debts, right? As well as any pretending lawsuits. And those are pretty standard. Uh, but in your case, did you guys have that? And, and if you did, um, are we just, oh, yeah. it's like nothing, he just didn't disclose anything. Then? Oh yeah. I mean, Frankly, syndicating a deal through a PPM, you know, private placement memorandum, which is one of the investor docs that kind of get put together, disclosing the business plan, the current situation, things like that. I mean, there was a situation where he, he came back and claimed that he had a $200,000 note from somebody else that never was involved in the deal that was going to sign the loan. Like, what are you talking about? Never disclosed, not in the books. So it's one of those things, you know, where, he, uh, yeah, he, he, it doesn't matter what you had in writing, people can still do bad things, frankly. And that's the situation that we were in then. Would you, would the whole, would a lot of this issue have been avoided if you would have taken the asset and, and then just purchased it into a new LLC and left that existing LLC out there and just had to get the refinancing done? Yeah, I'd say 95% of our issues would have gone away. Yeah. Was it, was it a significant um, piece of the cost or the, a barrier into making the deal happen, leaving the financing in place, or was it just a easy thing to do? It was a bridge loan, a, a very expensive bridge loan because the property and the condition it was in and things like that. Mm -hmm. There's other advantages, you know, taxes and things like that. Um, and like you said, you can put whatever you want on a piece of paper and a contract and things like that, but it doesn't mean people that are dishonest are going to abide by that. Yeah. We'd already been a partner with him in uh, two other very large deals. Those were performing well at the time. Um, so yeah, it's not, not great. Well, is there is there anything that would give you like red flags about what you would do to scout out that type of person and kind of weed them to sniff them out uh, better? Like getting to know like their their family more, past relationships. Like well, yeah, he went to uh, church with my twin brother. Wow. He and his family. You know, I, I don't know. Um, yeah. You know, it got, it got really messy and litigation still ongoing. He actually, you know, unfortunately passed away last November, which makes it even trickier right now. But um, I think, uh, you know, some people in the area that I had talked to that knew him um, didn't have anything negative to say. Now, as time went on, more people did have things to say about this guy, but I think uh, I was on a call with his, his old partner that was getting you know, bought out of the deal. And of course he was, he's going to say whatever he wants to get out of the deal um, reality. Um, you know, I don't know. I mean, my, my twin brother knew him. He was in a life group with him at church. He was, you know, uh, 
I know an SEC attorney from Harvard that knew him, a Marcus Milchap broker that knew him. It's one of those things that, you know, hopefully never happens to anyone else, frankly, but I'm, it will at some point happen to somebody. And, you know, I felt like we went through all the steps we need to, um, especially being a partner already in the deal, right. <laughs> the deals with him. I mean, it's just bizarre. Yeah, I, I would think so. Um, do you, did you have any, you know, one of the things I was thinking about right now is, is kind of, and to say like, what is it, what is it that we're really trying to sniff out when there's people out there that are kind of like that, right? It, and it, it could probably be pretty tough to sniff it out because it's not obvious. You know, right. if somebody has like a big alcohol problem and they've been under right. deals, those are easy things to sniff out if you just look, you know? Right. Um, but this guy probably sounds like somebody who is overall probably like on the right path of being a really upstanding person, but somewhere veered, you know? Veered, yeah. And, and, and frankly became, you know, I'd say con artist, you know, if you want to use that term. And he, I mean, he had, and people would get on the call with him and think he's, you know, he's God's gift to proper management and multifamily and things like that. But as time went on and things started getting more and more exposed, um, it became very clear that he was, you know, doing things he shouldn't do. Um, and then you can imagine, you know, now, you know, going you know, to partnerships and things like that, you know, obviously my reputation is tied to his. So even though, I didn't do anything, if you want to say, um, wrong from an ethical or any perspective like that whatsoever, and no one in the in the investment could, could claim that I have. It doesn't matter. I mean, at the end of the day, there's certain investors in that deal. I have a lot of investors in that deal that continue to invest and have invested in a lot of deals with me, and I have some investors in that deal that will never invest with me again. It's reality. What do you do when something like this happens to help recover your, your reputation and get your own life back on track? Yeah, I mean, I, I had dumped a lot of money of my own into the deal. We had a number of calls with investors, and those aren't fun, right, going over all the issues and things like that. I think end of the day, a lot of people that will look at it and, and say, you know, I, mean, I put a lot of money of my own money into the deal, to, you know, to support operations and, and things like that. I signed on a loan that had, you know, car vaults on it that was a loan already in trouble because we, when we removed him, um, I had to go on the loan. I wasn't on the loan originally. So, you know, doing things, I didn't take an asset management fee. I didn't take an acquisition fee. So not that those things by themselves fixes anything because it doesn't, but it wasn't like I was getting compensated, you know, while all this stuff was going on. In fact, I was putting uh, several hundred thousand dollars, of my own personal money into the deal to try to sustain it. Um, that means a lot to some people and other people will be like, I don't really care what you did. You know, it's uh, still your fault. Yeah. And so is it, is it just a lot of, you know, one-on-one -on -one conversations with, with your investors and with your group to try to, you know, salvage the, the relationships that you have with everybody at that point? There were a number of people that um, were like, Hey, appreciate everything you're doing. Um, so those are kind of easy ones. And there were, uh, you know, a few people that weren't so easy to deal with. And some people I've known for a number of years, some of my, I have did it consulting with and things like that. So, a lot of one-on-one, -on -one, um, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of calls and communication out. Uh, and at the end of the day, it was one of those things where, you know, uh, if someone wanted to step in and try to take over, they were more than happy to do it. I would have gladly stepped aside. I actually said that. Frankly, I did. You know, if, if someone really thinks they can do better, they're more than welcome to come in. And I would have gladly left, frankly. It would have saved me, you know, a ton of 
you know, nightmares, essentially. I mean, I wasn't, literally, I wasn't sleeping, I wasn't eating, lost weight. Uh, the worst business thing, I've been in business for a long time, the worst business kind of uh, activity or, you know, downside that I've ever gone through. Um, and I get, you know, in some cases, uh, you're just never going to recover some investors. It is, and I don't, it's fine. They can make their own decision and things like that. I would always say, hey, you know, did I do anything wrong personally? And they should say no, because I didn't. But they, they're still going to say, well, you know, Slack will say I still won't invest with a guy. Yeah. Well, at some point, some, some people, I think, erroneously think that because you're a deal, you're involved in the deal that you, you're guaranteeing the deal, you know, and that yeah, they don't have all the, yeah. right? And we have all the legal documents that kind of go through that. And, you know, I, <clears throat> one guy got pretty nasty and continues to, frankly, um, and he's invested before and, you know, educated investor, you should know. I mean, I, I've, I've unfortunately lost money in other other investments like oil investment and uh, hotel I invested in, things like that. Um, it's probably going to happen if you're in the business long enough. You kind of just need to, you know, you don't have to like it, but you need to kind of suck it up and move on and stop wasting energy on the past or what, what we could have done. Or you, people are like, well, we should have sold it earlier. We should have, yeah, okay, it's easy to look at it now, but we, it w we didn't have to, but we took, um, you know, I don't call it a vote because it wasn't a vote necessarily. But we took a survey from the investors saying, what do you want to do? Do you want us to sell it now? Do you want us to try to go into a new new situation with a new debt? We listened to the investors and we did that based on, you know, the percent ownership people had in that deal. So yeah, that's a downside of syndication. You know, if, if the majority or super majority of the people want to go a certain direction and we go that direction and you don't want to, it's tough, frankly. You don't have a choice. Um, you're you're not in the deal by yourself. You have other people that might have a bigger percentage ownership or voting right than you, and they'll dictate what what will or will not happen. Very true, Mark. Um, what what going through this uh, experience and um, with the investment, and then and then you know rebuilding the relationships with your investors in some cases. Um, how has this made you like a stronger business person and a better investor uh, moving forward? A lot more leery about who I partner with for sure. <clears throat> um, and, and frankly, and this isn't, I don't know if it's a good thing or not, but very few things really phase me. I mean, going through this was, uh, like I said, one of the, I can't really think of any tougher situation ever in business that I have I've had to go through in this. So, as things come up now, putting in perspective, I'm kind of like, well, that's really not that big of a deal compared to, you know, what we just went through. Um, you kind of learn more how communication wise, and you can always improve for sure on how things are handled and, and things like that. Um, I do wish maybe we would have cut, cut it earlier and we tried to sell it and took, you know, took longer than we wanted to and the buyer backed out and things like that. And people are getting, I, I can't control that. Right. I mean, I'm doing whatever I can, but, um, I felt that we try to do it, you know, as fast as possible uh, with the refi. We found out we couldn't do it and things like that. So we looked at different options, but I think it's, uh, it really kind of helps you, you kind of a little thicker skin, if you want to say too, kind of dealing with people and, and uh, just being honest and frank with people where it's at and not trying to sugarcoat things because it's pretty hard to sugarcoat something like this. Um, and the little things that come up here and there on deals, really don't seem as big of a deal to me now as they probably would have if I hadn't gone through this. 
Can you give me an example of that, of like where would be something that you would normally sugarcoat and now that you're just more frank and upfront about? Uh, I mean, with investors, you probably wouldn't sugarcoat it because it's really not some, I mean, to me, I'll share, hey, we're, here's where we're at. We don't have money. We're running out of money. There's no money in there. So I wouldn't sugarcoat something. Now, does an investor need to know every single thing going on day to day? You know, someone got evicted, things like that. So I would, I would say as a general statement, be upfront. People rather have to be upfront and honest. Um, it's going to catch up with you, right? And you can't, you can't hide things like that. They're going to come up. They're going to come up. Right. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't sugarcoat anything really. I'm probably a little too blunt sometimes. Um, frankly, as far, as far as people are like, you know, you tell exactly how it is and I do. Um, but sometimes people, you know, they, it, it freaks people out too. Right. Kind of being that blunt about things. Yeah. Uh, what, what way have you found to be able to like approach things bluntly without, you know, freaking people out? Um, if you have a plan, that's the best thing. So you might wait. If you found out something today, hey, there's a fire at the property, right? You don't send, personally, you don't send an email to all the investors. There's a fire at the property right now, right? Try to gather the facts as much as possible because you know what people are going to do. They're going to come back and ask you questions. So try to get as much of the facts up front so you can be blunt. There's a fire at the property. It was caused by whatever, you know, an electrical. We've already engaged insurance company. Uh, police report was done. Kind of getting your story together kind of helps lessen the, the impact because, yes, you know, something bad happened, but we have a plan in place to fix it um, or try to fix it. So that's uh, – you can still be blunt um, in, in, without really freaking people out necessarily. But like I said, I'm, I'm kind of just going to tell them how it is. But having that plan or story of the, the action plan is going to help lessen people's concern. Very cool. Yeah, I, I think that that's a, um, a great um, – I think I'm going to take that one for the lesson learned for me for today's show, Mark, mm -hmm. which is about like uh, – so the way that that, that, make, that jives with me, that message jives with me about having a plan is that it kind of like goes back – did you ever watch that old um, – uh, was it Batman Begins with the cool Joker when Heath Ledger was the Joker? Yes. And, then, and there's like a cool line that he talks about in there where he says, uh, you know, people don't, people are calm as long as there's a plan. Nobody yes. questions the plan. Yeah, right, right. Of how insane the plan might be, right? That's and, right. And he's doing it at like as, a, as like, I think like a part to be able to be like over the top, right? About like how much people are invested inside of plans, right? Um, but, but my lesson in, in hearing your story, which is about like, it's uh, get a, get the plan together, show people that all the steps are being, you know, ticked, you know, one after the other. Um, and then people are going to be okay with that. Like the amount of pushback you're going to get is going to be, or um, a lot of the energy that would come back at you after you're like, here's the plan is going to be really minimal. That's right. And you might not have the whole plan laid out. Say, Hey, as long as you have the next couple steps laid out, here's what we're doing next. And we'll, we'll kind of reevaluate the plan and maybe change the plan based on what happens in step three. Um, it's tricky uh, without a doubt. I mean, it takes, uh, I mean, it takes um, a lot of patience, frankly, because everybody, including myself, want answers today. And they want to know the exact answer. And, and sometimes you just can't give it. Yeah. Do you set, um, when you're introducing like new information to people that's in that context, do you set like follow-up times to be like, Hey, I'll have another update for you guys on like X date. 
So then they like to, to frame people's minds, but does it matter much to them or they're like, we want yeah, to finish they, right they now do. anyway? Yeah, unfortunately, some of the information that we might have to communicate will rely on other people. So in this particular example with this property, we had a couple of new bridge lenders. So nobody wants to go from a, like a bridge loan is kind of a temporary loan. Uh, you, lenders don't want to go from bridge to bridge. They don't want you, new bridge lender doesn't want to take over somebody else's bridge loan, just reality. But we had a couple that were said, hey, we'll, we'll maybe put you in new debt, we'll refinance into another bridge loan. And they gave a certain, you know, kind of time frame when we would have, you know, bids back from them or term sheets back from them with the details. And it took way, way longer. And, you know, some investors like, you know, hey, see, I can't produce that information. And then I've gotten, you know, again, maybe another lesson learned that I will not guess anymore when people are like, what do you think it will be? What do you think the lender is going to give you? What do you think the interest rate is going to be? I don't know. So I don't want to guess anymore. I, I put that and communicate out that I'm, I'm done guessing what I think is going to happen or when a property, when do you think it's going to close? Do you think the new buyer who is, you know, having a hard time raising money, when do you think he's going to get all his money in? I don't know. You're asking me to speculate and purely guess on things I have no control over. Probably a long time ago, I probably would have guessed. Well, I think maybe by next week we'll know. You know, because I, I think rationally that's how long it should take. Well, common sense and rationality don't really play in a lot of times. So you need to, you know, stop guessing. Um, tell them I, I don't have an answer for you. I'll let you know when I have it. Uh, but that's that's something that I've learned for sure. Awesome, Eric. Well, if you were going to leave um, the audience here with like a lesson learned for today's uh, podcast, like what would that be? Well, number one would be, in my personal opinion, don't buy into existing LLC. I mean... Like I said, I had a horrible, horrible experience. Some people have a good experience with it. Um, the other one I would say is just take it, take it slow. Um, don't be too eager to get involved in a deal or an investment. Um, make sure you're extremely comfortable. Ask the right questions ahead of time. In this case, it would have been very difficult, but I know a lot of other investments where people just don't ask questions up front. So make sure you're comfortable up front getting answers to your questions. Some people feel like, oh, I shouldn't. I know if I, they'll call me, I'm not sure I can ask you this question. I'm like, you can, ask, we're, we're trying to have you invest 75 or $100,000. You can ask me any question you want, right? So um, being open to ask questions and don't, because uh, it's a big investment. So, but the biggest one for me, don't buy into LLC. Awesome. Yeah, true words right there for sure. And, and Mark, for anybody that wants to get a hold of you, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, my email is mark, M-A-R-K, at think, which is T-H-I-N-K, multifamily.com. That's awesome, Mark. Well, thanks for coming on the show. I appreciate you uh, being here. I look forward to, to working with you here in the future with uh, everything that you guys do. And um, if uh, there's anything that we can uh, or I can do for you, Mark, always just let me know. And thank you for, for sharing all that, uh, that great information today. I appreciate it, Scott. Thank you. That's all for this Best Deal episode, and I'm your host, Scott Royal-Smith, with the Real Estate Nerds Podcast. When investments go good, they can go great. Your legendary Best Deal could be your next one, so keep at it. Thank you for joining us, and if you enjoyed the show, leave a review to help clue in those sleeping masses for what they need to know and what we all need reminders of. Do your good deed for the day, and I'll see you again soon.